two, three. Hello, Spencer Barksdale. Lovely to have you on the show. Well, hello, Lauren Yates. It's lovely to be here. Well, I'm just so delighted to have this, the, the entity that is you on our show because <laughs> you have a very special, unique perspective on the world and I'm just so excited to share that with people. Um, first of all, like, yeah, we were just chatting before and um, so you're up in Sharon, which is um, just north of New York right um yep. it's and... the northwest corner okay and um of connecticut of connecticut and um you're you've been there for the lockdown period it looks like a beautiful area to be in and today you said you went to a protest can you describe that um yes it's you know as uh the world struggles really with racism and and the pandemic and the consistent struggles that we go through as people, um, I have just found that for myself, um, certainly there have been struggles, but I have not struggled as much as so many people in the world. And um, I felt, you know, I've just felt so, so sad and, and angry and so I just wanted to to participate in it. It's strange because where I am in this northwest corner of Connecticut, it's um, primarily a lot of, you know, New Yorkers who have little country houses and, and places like that. And it's a wonderful community. You know, there's great artists up mm. here and uh you know just not only artists that came from new york or whatever but artists who were born here mm. and have a history here whether they're a metal worker or you know they do woodworking i mean it's just such a a wonderful community and mm. it was so great to be able to go even though it was very very small because the the town itself is small it was just nice to get out there and be a part and and feel it you know mm. when I, I, okay i might date myself a little bit but the first time i took ecstasy when it was like <laughs> oh it sent all those chills up your spine and you're like wow this is great once we started chanting the names of of the different people who had been affected by um, by the police and the circumstances that were beyond their control beyond their control, it just sent that same mm. that same glimmer of hope, I guess, and that excitement mm. of hope that um, really encouraged. It, it really encouraged me, and I just I um, give a lot of I, I respect the people who coordinated it, and uh, and built it, and believed in it, and uh, who are making this community feel a part of it and believing in it as well. Mm. I think the idea of community is really important, like such a word that keeps coming up in my kind of sphere and I feel like it's it's the way forward small community um and like um as white people to I think I I think this okay there's 
it depends on who you are and where you're from, but this whole um, what's happened in the last two weeks with um, the brutal murder of um, George, George Floyd, um, for a lot of people it's traumatic. It brings up a lot of wounds that, you know, that continue to traumatise. Um, for some people, for white people, it might be a, an opportunity for education might be an opportunity to open up your heart um, to something that you might not have been conscious of before and it might be a, an invitation to to you know discover a bit more about yourself and the world around you and for some people it's confusing and scary um, which like Someone who, like me, who's probably a bit more left-swinging, someone who's grown up mixed race um, and who has a husband who is very passionate about um, black culture and, like, and the, the, the issue of racism itself. Like, I can't understand the argument against racism, but, you know, it's a logical uh, argument for some people. Um, so I feel like my hope out of all of this is like that people just open their hearts um, and just feel something that they might not have been aware of before and that's to me that's the way forward but it has been a very traumatic kind of feel it has been a very traumatic period for a lot of people but I think we can't it, there's this saying in Buddhism, like, no mud, no lotus. So that, you know, you need, that without this thick layer of mud, a beautiful lotus can't bloom from that mud. Um, so I, f I feel, I keep thinking about that saying right now, no mud, no lotus. Um, yeah, but I want to know about how you came to be who you are today <laughs> um well uh, yeah like let's go from the very beginning i guess my dad didn't wear a condom that day <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but i i just the the no no mud no lotus I, i've never heard that expression mm. actually and thank you for sharing that mm. with me because that is so beautiful mm. it really is and um i think to your point you know it's it's brought up fear it's brought up concern it's brought up so many different variables within yourself that as long as you keep communicating it and trying to understand it, um, I think we will be better. Mm. We will be better for it. Yeah. You know, and um, but, um, you know, it is interesting, the conversation that we're having, <laughs> because uh, I grew up in a little town called Petersburg, Virginia, um, which is on the East Coast. And uh, it's just below Richmond, Virginia, which um, was the capital of the Confederacy. So, um, and growing up within that vernacular, honestly, I was so oblivious of it, you know, and it's a, a history 
of of families being oblivious to it um that how it kind of was just a part of it where certainly the confederacy was celebrated wow. you know and as a as a child and even a teenager you know i didn't really understand exactly what you know, what it was all about other than like, yeah, okay, you know, and um, it's just, you know, and then thinking about it now is like, ah, oh, shit, it's not okay, you know, but um, it was, um, so there are, there are so many people in that area that are, you know, they see the Confederacy as history, you know, and there's a history that helped helped build what families built mm. back then. Yeah. And um not having the not not allowing myself to be aware of the knowledge of what it was all about, you know, that's that's on me, you know, of like, well, I, I didn't learn about it, you know, and so I just kept moving on. But um so it, that's very strange too you know there's mm. in richmond there's this thing called monument avenue with with all the monuments um, right. you know of robert e lee and you know and it was a thing of beauty you know because it's these statues are and sculptures are, are magnanimous you know and you look at them as like oh wow look how beautiful the horse is you know and look how big his nuts are, you know, I mean, you, it's like all, but you don't really real, I didn't realize what, what it was saying, mm. you know? Mm. And so now that they are talking about removing the statues and things like that, I mean, I, if it's hurtful towards people, then let's talk about how we can either remove them or how we can create something next to it that shows the juxtaposition of what it's done to other people mm. and maybe a fusion. I don't know if you can even fuse the Confederacy, but, but you know, how you could create something that, at, that shows the dichotomy and shows where we are heading mm. as people. Um, but it was a very, you know, it was the the town I grew up in was pretty small. Um, I was telling my, I was telling somebody the other day and I'm, I'm just going on to a totally different That's path fine. that where we went to high school or where, where my high school was from like first grade all the way to 12th grade. I had like 21 people in my, in my graduating class. Quite small, you knew everybody, quaint. right? Yes, very quaint. <laughs> and uh, there was a pizza hut <laughs> that we used to go to near near my school, and uh, we would go to the rock pile behind the pizza hut because literally there was an X-rated <laughs> there was an X-rated drive-in theater next to it, and we could go and get some glimpses of nudity <laughs> and throw rocks at cars, <laughs> you know, it was just and drink beer. Wow. You know? So, so it was, random. Um, 
<laughs> completely. And it was like, how come our parents didn't say anything about this X-rated <laughs> drive-in theater that was out there? But, you know, we used to pile in cars and, like, go in and everybody would be slumped down <laughs> in the seat. <laughs> so They probably were you know. going to it, so they didn't, like, speak a word. The parents were probably all there, so they probably didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly they had their wigs on and stuff like that <laughs> oh but God. um it was a very small town but you know a small town can bring such wonderful interesting creative opportunities because you are in a small town and mm. if you have friends who are creative too you make home movies you know you do all sorts of crazy wacky shit I mean did you grow up in a small yeah. town or well I didn't I grew up in Sydney which is like it's like you know the one of the biggest um cities in Australia but Australia in itself is like a small town um it's very it's ice it's an island and it's definitely very white like the school I went to had zero um black people which was like a real culture shock for me coming from Thailand I came from like a um, a school in Thailand that was full of like expats and kids from all over the world like Fiji and Korea and it was a, a mixed um, a mixed very mixed race school and then I came to Australia I had to wear a uniform and <laughs> and then I don't know why I think my parents just like had, didn't know you know they didn't know much about um Australia so they were like they they were like okay well you guys can go to an all girls school whoa <laughs> like <laughs> that was probably one of the biggest culture shocks i've ever had in my whole life um being in an all female environment is really weird like there's no situation that you would have like that in life right like be just being right. surrounded by this just all the same sex just every day for like 10 years so yeah it was a real head spin and then um yeah like a lot of cultural shocks like um yeah there was like a bunch of racism like but like white fragility so like if I brought up the fact that I felt that um people were being outright racist there was a real like like don't you you know kind of like a don't you dare s say that about me and like you know there was an automatic like I'm gonna put you down for making me feel uncomfortable about being racist so you know it was a real um interesting place but um it definitely was gave me a lot of opportunities because um Australia is like paradise at the end of the world um, it's like we, there's weird animals and like there's beautiful <laughs> nature and like so you know and the the Aboriginal culture the original peoples of the land they they are so they have such beautiful ways of passing down history they call um, so the way they pass down history um, Aboriginal people pass down history is verbally and they call it the dream time and that is, um, you know, they're telling stories about, you know, how they're, they're like 
I guess it's their version of, of maybe mythology or, you know, creation stories of, you know, how um, how n- things in nature was formed or how how things evolved to become a certain way. But it was really like I found it really creative and, and beautiful in itself. Um, and, yeah, so I think... The, re- the thing that I really got that made shape who I was from living in Australia was more like being in nature, in the weird nature out there, like fishing and surfing and figuring out, like, you know, if I'm a weirdo or if <laughs> I'm just very different from people here. So, yeah. But, yeah, so I can, I can relate to a lot of things that, that um you're saying about growing up for sure yeah i also i can relate to you too i actually went to a college at an all-male school oh what was that like (laughs) well i had really you know i had some i i certainly had some good guy friends in high school um but I re- I just love the girls, you know. I mean, it, they were so fun. They were crazy. They had a great sense of humor. My sister, who is eighteen months older than me, her group of friends were just fantastic, <laughs> you know. So um, I really, I poor, I feel so. I mean, I have uh, four siblings. I mean three other siblings but my poor sister because I, I was literally just wanted to tag along with her all the time you know but um I wasn't I, I was I guess I did all right in school but my mother said that I was lazy so I really didn't put that much into it I guess so I got one of the only schools I got into was this all male school. And I hate to say that it was sort of like at that time perceived a little bit like, oh, they have great parties. So I was <laughs> like, okay, I'll get there. <laughs> That's fine. And yeah, you know, I think to my mother and father's, um, <laughs> to their disappointment, I didn't really put my attention to school <laughs> there. However, what I really, I, developed a an amazing group of male friends Mm. you know that I hadn't had before that as as large you know and where I went to school in Virginia there's also it's kind of strange which maybe was similar to your situation there were women's schools you Mm. know only women's schools all the way all around as well so we would travel you know back and forth you know, all the time to, to the different, you know, women would come to our school, we would go to their school. So there was a constant drunk driving experience <laughs> going on there. Uh, you know, that wasn't that great, <laughs> but, um, but it was an interesting place. You know, it was great to be away from the town where I grew up because I learned about music mm. and, you know, that's when, you, you know, it was, let's see, I was in school in, 82 to 86 so you know there was some great alternative Mm. 80s music going on during that time and you know it just opened myself up to a wide range of things Mm. and I realized that I wanted to keep moving on Mm. you know and I wanted to keep doing something different you know when I graduated from college 
uh, my parents were sort of like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, what am I going to do? I was like, well, I'm going to go to the beach. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, And they were like, okay, well, how are you going to afford your beach? And I was like, dumbfounded. You know, I was like, well, what are you talking about? Y'all are going to help, you know? And they were like, no. And they, my mother, my, they both said, you're going to start working for your father on Monday. <laughs> so wow. I was like, sad clown, but, um, shoot, sorry. Uh, um, that was actually an old friend who was resurfaced from school that I went to. Um, mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so I lived in Richmond, Virginia for a little while after school. And um, then I got it after I, my father was probably the best boss ever. He was just so sweet and giving and supportive. But, you know, he be, they totally believed in their in their children working very hard mm-hmm. you know and uh, and especially a boy you know so um so I had to get right to work but then I did end up getting a job as a um as a creative director for a video production company Whoa. in Richmond but it was tiny you know and um so that taught me a little bit and I started writing scripts for them and things like that and I was like oh this is this is cool. Mm. I think I got fired. I'm not 100% sure, but <laughs> there, with, there was this thing called the big flea market in, Rich, in Richmond, and we had the account, and I don't know how it came up, but I decided that I could draw the flea for the <laughs> flea market commercial, and literally, <laughs> literally, it looked like a pimple with legs, kind of. <laughs> so I was like, I mean... I knew it wasn't good, but I don't think the client liked it very much. <laughs> so moved on from that. But um, and then New York was just sort of calling me. Mm. You know, I had my we were not big travelers as a family because we didn't really my parents they didn't really want to fly very much, and so. Um, you know, so we drove all the time, and who wants to drive in a fucking station wagon with four annoying children in the back, you know? But I remember one time we went up to New Hampshire, and we passed by New York City, and I was just like, that's where I want to be, you know? Wow. And um, I ended up... Uh, dating this woman before I was 100% clear that I was, yes, I was gay and this is who I am and I, I'm not going to change it. Um, and she was amazing and speaking of old bands, we were hanging out at her apartment and the and the the drummer from the Psychedelic Furs was lived next door so he came over and hung out with us and I was just like I gotta get here, you wow. know. Um, my girlfriend at the time ended up moving back to Richmond, but then I moved to New York and that kind of started every, you know, just as far as opening your eyes to life and, and just encouraging diversity and meeting wildness was, that was the start. So that was like New York in the late 80s? Yes, I moved Mm. there in 89. Yeah. And um and so like what did you do? Like you just like moved to New York and like you were like, "Hi guys. <laughs> I'm here." 
<laughs> yes. And I hope no I hope my cousin isn't gonna watch this, but <laughs> he was dating this woman at the time and I ended up meeting them for lunch or something like that or a drink or something and she was fascinating you know she grew up in New York City she grew up on Park Avenue she was very well educated she loved you know she was all into books and things like that and I was like whoa she's amazing you know and and my cousin I loved you know he's you know we're very similar with our senses of humor and stuff like that and um I kind of, oh, I called, so he was living in New York at the time too, and instead of calling him, I called her and said, hey, I've lost Chris's number, (laughs) do you have it? And she gave me his number and I was like, because I'm thinking about moving to New York, but I kind of need to find a place to live. And she was like, absolutely not, you will stay with us. And so I moved to 65th and Park, (laughs) and <laughs> completely um and uh so sorry chris i mean still i love you but that is my i manipulated myself into this situation and then i ended up meeting this woman who worked for this very small pr firm called uh mitchell manning and mm-hmm. it was this older man who he had been friends with audrey hepburn um, the Lauders from Estee Lauder, you know, and he was, I don't know, I don't, well, you couldn't marry men back then, so he had a partner who was who was younger, and um, so I think they clearly knew I was gay, <laughs> so they were, and I think there was this, you know, I have a little bit of a southern accent, so they were like, let's get this southern accent boy on the phone, and he will answer the phone, and the people that they used, that the, their clients and things like that, they would say, oh, well, where'd you get the southern guy, you know, and, um, but from there, we did PR for restaurants around oh. the city. So like the 21 club and um, and we would put at that time, it was all about the gossip columns. So we would get, say, um, a famous person went to one of our restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. one of the restaurants and you would read that in page six or um, Susie from WWD and, you know, all these things. So we we would pitch stories to um, to the different like. That's a real like, like thing about the American culture. It's very PR heavy. I think even now, um, like yes. Just in the fashion industry, it's it's very much about who's wearing your clothes and rather than maybe like for example, of course it's still you know important, but like rather than having your clothes in like editorials like and like more like you know like publications this is more about in America I find it's really about I mean there's this really glamorous celebrity culture that you know it's all about who's wearing your stuff yeah yeah it's kind of gotten out of control don't Mm -hmm. you think I mean you know it's and then with the um you know, and it's developed, I feel like, then developed all these influencers, that yeah. whole culture, you know, and mm-hmm. so then it's just keeps spinning and spinning. Mm. And now we have, you know, seeing the the different people on TikTok, you know, and all the, the different oh, apps. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't get me started about TikTok. I can't believe I I can't believe that TikTok just like blew up because like like it's it's a surveillance in- instrument of China. Um, so right. it's like what? what? Like, everyone's just suddenly jumped on the the TikTok bandwagon, and it's just like I'm so confused. Like like one minute they're like. Oh, let's like let's like stop all Americans using Huawei phones because because it's you know a surveillance instrument of Beijing. But oh, TikTok's fine. Let's get into that. <laughs> let's all dance <laughs> yeah, together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when my nephew was here, um, we I was in Connecticut when. Uh, the pandemic really hit and um, I just adore my nieces and my nephew and um, so they so he came to stay with me for a few weeks and um, you know he does engage in it a little bit so we did a couple videos you know that were kind of just foolish and fun and then but and you know I don't even think of that shit (laughs) you know about who's watching me or whatever you know it's just like let's put a goofy thing on Um, maybe it's kind of funny that like China's like oh let's use this as a tool of surveillance and then all they get is like stupid teenagers (laughs) doing Exactly. And old people trying to look like young teenagers. I mean, they're like, okay, we've really got something here. (laughs) We nailed it this time. Oh, my God. Yeah, so good. The world is just just wild right now. So then, so then, so you were in PR, and then, like, you know, how how did that, you know, how did you go from that into the fashion industry? So, okay, being on the sixty fifth and Park Avenue, the okay, so it's a it was a big it was a big building. There were doormen and things like that. You know, I mean, I had never been experienced anything like that um and i started going downtown you know and downtown was really where i felt like ooh, i'm finding i'm finding some really fun people mm-hmm. and um and then the doorman started saying like i would get in at around you know like six in the morning or something which isn't even that late sometimes and I would I would locked myself out or they would always be like it's always you you know <laughs> and I was like uh, maybe that's a good sign I should move downtown or something yeah. so um a girlfriend of mine uh, worked for this brand called Nicole Miller um which is a little fashion uh brand you know was around for a while and um uh, she, I'm going to say she let me borrow a necktie from Nicole Miller, <laughs> um, from the store. And because I wanted to wear something that had a little bit more attitude mm. to it, I just felt like where I came from, it was very preppy, you know? And so Nicole was doing these kind of con- conversational prints, you know? really 80s i mean nice wide wide, wide silk. T- 
that's exactly you know then it had a little bit of an interesting shine to them and you know but I felt like whoa this is it I love it you know and so I'd started wearing it to work and um and oh so I took her to a party downtown we went to this uh university of north carolina party that i knew some people who were having down there so certainly it wasn't going to be that diverse of a crowd (laughs) but um elizabeth and i went down there and we were kind of checking out all the people and there was a guy in some doc martin shoes and so we were like he's the one that we have to talk to (laughs) and so they ended up creating an evening partnership if you get my drift and um so he and i then became friends and he worked for this um record label called tvt records and um and i was like oh cool and i met this varied assortment of people through through mm-hmm. my friend Joe and he and Elizabeth didn't really click <laughs> um, but uh, so but Joe and I clicked and so you know we started like hanging out quite a bit and um, through him and through this through this record label I met this woman Terrell and she was just you know she was from California she was so interesting she had a great sense of humor um we just totally clicked like total brother sister you know stuff and um at one point she said to me um my friend Mary's moving to New York and she's a fashion designer and I was like wow you know I was just <laughs> freaked out by it you know and she's like y'all are going to get along so well together and I was you know sometimes you're like yeah 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 okay yeah. sure we are but um we got along like two peas in a pod I mean it was just crazy and Mary um, was working for this small company called Heather Hill Sportswear. We worked in, she worked in the Empire State Building. The main offices, I swear, were like on the fifth floor. And then the design office, which was literally a railroad, you know, like a railroad room, was on the 14th floor. So um, she, they got a new piece of CAD equipment, you know, computer aided design. We had, to, you know, Heather Hill sold, I think, to like Walmart. Kmart, you know, those sorts of brands. Mm-hmm. So we would have to sell on presentation boards mm-hmm. where, you know, you would have one stripe shirt that would come in six different stripes. So I would have to do those and, you know, do the different colorations and like cut them out and stuff like that. So, um, did you guys like have then, to analyze the colors of the stripe, like in, in real detail, like just- to like break down yeah. which color might sell the best and which was the most like politically strategic? <laughs> well, I think there was certain thinking of that. I think we were so interested in going out at that time <laughs> that, you know, Mary would kind of get in around 11 in the morning and she would have an egg and <laughs> a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich. And um, our boss, Richard, he was um, he was Swedish and he, he would have us say, which I don't think I'm saying it right, but he had a joke like he would make us say, 
we you are smart we are stupid <laughs> when, we, when we would come in the day but and then in the middle of the day we would all take a nap I mean it was probably the best place to work yeah, forever it sounds you know awesome. it was amazing yes it was great um I remember one day I wore a I think I wore a sweater tucked into my pants and this other designer who was on the fifth floor said you know nobody ever does that and I was like Oops, okay. <laughs> but um, Mary, but, and then at that time, and that you and I had also mentioned um, that guy with the Doc Martens, he ended up moving to, um, he moved to Atlanta to be in the record industry down there. And um, he was like, do you want my room? You know, I, I live in this apartment way downtown. It was like in, um, it was on Greenwich and Spring. I mean, it, it's not even Soho. It was like west of west of Soho. And he was like, do you want to rent the room in my apartment? You know, I was kind of sick of living on the Upper East Side. And, um, you know, the, everybody was fantastic. I think some of our roommates there were beginning to start moving mm-hmm. around, too. And so we may have all just dispersed. But I ended up taking the room from my friend Joe, which was literally probably the darkest box I've ever been in. I mean, thank goodness <laughs> depression wasn't depression wasn't a big thing with me then because literally I would have been, you know, on on the rumpled bed on the um floor and never gotten out of the room. Oh. Um but and then another another one of my roommates, Steve, literally lived in a closet <laughs> that had a had a loft built on <laughs> like a top so he could have his clothes under it and he could sleep in it. And literally it was a tiny closet. And then we lived with Jonathan Larson who wrote Rent. Ah. Yeah, when you told um, me that, I went back to like listen to a bunch of the the Rent musical songs, and like yeah, yeah, like that they they just like I'm pretty sure they were like playing, you know, all through my childhood. You know, they those songs are like awesome, and um, I feel like that whole that the Rent kind of that the storyline is just so relevant, no matter what time yes. period you're in. Yeah. And, you know, um, Jonathan and I, we weren't too close to pals or anything because I think he thought I was a total idiot, which (laughs) I am still, and I'm sure I was then, you know, and I was a little bit party boy. All I wanted to do was go out, you know, and have fun. And uh, he was really working on his craft, you know, and we had like a bathtub and you know we had a shower in the kitchen i mean it was all like very typical like old new york stuff that you hear about you know artists loft in a way and um jonathan had had the apartment for quite some time so you know certainly he felt an ownership to the apartment mm. And that was never anything that I had ever dealt with before. Like when I lived in Richmond or anywhere else, an apartment was what everybody, what everybody participated in. It wasn't like, oh, you're just renting a room here. So I was, 
I probably agitated him a little bit on that front. And I was like, that music is shit. You know? and I was just, so I don't know if he was, he may have been writing some of Rent during my stay there, but I wasn't really a, a proponent of it. And uh, however, I look at it now and I'm like, you know, here's this guy who believed in himself a hundred percent you know and that is so important he didn't give it up he didn't give up Mm. you know i mean it's unfortunate that he passed away i think the night of dress rehearsal but um and then it became this crazy you know it, it it became this crazy um like a point of view yeah. Of what, yeah the cultural point of view mm. and um you know it's just like wow I, so I can't believe mm. yeah and he was on that casio computer with his headphones on all the time when he wasn't working at this place called the moonlight diner so in hindsight i wish i had realized that there was talent in front of me mm. and maybe I should have given some respect to that talent but instead <laughs> I gave my respect to nightclubs and things <laughs> like that <laughs> but um, but anyways but then the same Mary that I was mentioning to you she had seen an ad for um, she had seen an ad for an assistant designer at Levi's and she's originally from California as well. And so she, while we were working at Heather Hills, she said, Oh, I'm going to apply for this job, you know? And I said to her, I was like, Hey, do you mind if I like send in my resume for it too? Because they're either going to want someone like you, who's actually got a lot of experience, been to school for it and stuff like that. Or maybe they're going to be looking for just kind of a paper pusher or something like me kind of, you know, and she was so cool. She was like, absolutely. You know? so we both interviewed one night. Um, do you remember the movie Tootsie? No. Tell me. Um, it's with Dustin Hoffman where he is trying to get a job in in the acting community. And so he ends up dressing up as a woman um, and he becomes this big player on this uh, on this soap opera. So it's a very funny movie. Like Jessica Lange is in it. I mean, it's it. It was I don't know when Tootsie came out, but we were um, anyways, I was watching it with the with a girlfriend of mine it was on vhs so we were watching it at home this is when i lived on um uh, bleaker between 10th and christopher and like literally the drag queens would sit under my window at night you know kiki together and i was in this really small cramped room but my friend sheila and i were watching tootsie phone rang my roommate other roommate who burnt my TV, by the way, <laughs> um, but says he didn't because he just shoved a statue over it. And um, but anyways, he said the phone was for me, and I and we were I was baked, I was so stoned, and so then he goes, I this woman, and she was foreign, and she said, oh hi, this is blah, 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 from Levi Strauss and Company, and I'm wasted you know i'm like ah. and tootsie's on the tootsie's in the background and she kept going is this an okay time to reach you and i was like ah yes great sure you know and she kept 
sensing this sarcasm in my voice and she goes okay what is going on are you sure this is okay time to reach you and I go actually it is a fine time to reach me I said you know what I did I did apply for a job at Levi Strauss and Company and I said and if this was Levi Strauss and Company I would be going insane because I totally want to work there and stuff like that I said however I think you're my friend Mary's sister, Angelina, who's an actress, and you're fucking with me. <laughs> and there was quiet on the phone. <laughs> there was silence. And she goes, well, this is Moreta Wimmer from Levi Strauss <laughs> Company. And I was just like, oh, my God. But the late, the woman was so cool because she was like, here's this crazy motherfucker, and he's taking me through this crazy scenario that I've never experienced before and also she was like also the weirdest thing is I have a resume for Mary Bruno right here <laughs> too so she had both of our resumes so anyways Mary and I moved out to California together we took a trip cross country which if you have I, I mean Australia is vast have you ever taken it, a trip cross country I mean no but like yeah, I've done like, you know, all the up the East Coast. I used to be in like a little band. I used to play the cello for like folk band, <laughs> a folk band. And like, oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> we do the touring circuit where like you go up the East Coast in a little minivan. <laughs> but if you were to go across from like East to West of Australia, I mean, it's not as big as the US, but that would take you a solid like, I want to say like four or five days just driving solid yeah i mean i was in i I went to australia for a month and i kind of wanted to get to perth but i was like i can't do it (laughs) (laughs) but um when you were in your band so did you write music um yeah i'd write all the cello parts and we like (laughs) some songs we'd write together but usually like the the lead, um, his name was Brian Campo. He was Canadian, but he was making, playing and making music in Australia. Um, and he's still there now. But, um, yeah, like we, yeah, it was like a, a fun time. I think like in the early 2000s, folk music was a real like thing. Um, <laughs> then like <laughs> it took like a few years, then it completely fizzled out. And then I was out of a job. <laughs> so, so, so then I, I went to art school, <laughs> but anyway, do you want to sing us a little bit of something? Cause maybe folk music's probably coming back. Um, I'll, I won't sing anything on the podcast, but I will. I'll dig it up and I'll I'll post okay. you um I'll I'll post and I'll send you some of the the video clips that we made that was like really DIY homemade video clips. <laughs> there was one video clip we made um that was um abseiling literally like the other lead singer Alana, she's a very well respected jazz musician, jazz singer in Australia. And she was like, "Hey, wouldn't it be a great idea if the video clip was us abseiling in in the Blue Mountains, which is like a really famous set of mountains. And Brian was like, mm, okay. And I was like, okay, I'll film it. Like, I'm not, like, you guys, 
you do that and I'll film it for you. <laughs> and on the first descent down, <laughs> Brian like completely smashed his ankle. <laughs> On the, and then he was stuck in mid-air off a rock face and like to this day his ankle is still like fucked up but I'm, so, I'm sorry Brian but like it made some quality art that not many people saw that, okay, I've got to see these pictures. Yes. I'm, I'm really curious about the hairstyles, maybe, and also the clothing as well. It was kind of like mountain men abseiling, singing, <laughs> singing. You're gonna love wow, it. Wow, that yeah. sure is an interesting mix. Yeah. I think you know you're gonna see it on Tom Do Ford you... next. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened at Levi's? Well, so I did. Okay, actually, Mary and I both got a job within two oh. weeks of each other. Yeah, it was fantastic, awesome. and um, and I was CAD manager <laughs> and T-shirt designer. So I really didn't, you know. And of course, it was the history of Levi's mm. and the history of denim is phenomenal and yeah. it's so fascinating and the cloth itself is just one of the most unique cloths I can think of ever having worked with because you can do so much to it mm. and and you can design so much around it mm. but um i was just kind of getting my feet wet really in the um in the industry and um the woman who i mentioned uh to you who hired me she was really kind of you know san francisco so many kooky crazy people and you know it was just such a a fun time i mean i remember one time at levi's this friend of mine had given me a cape for my birthday and there were like a group of us kind of walking around the Levi's there was it was called the hard park and the soft park and so I was like waving around in this crown and this cape I mean it's just crazy shit um but it really it was like it it showed me that I can be whoever I want to be, you know, I, I can be, be me actually. And that was the thing that this industry provided for me mm. is it provided an outlet for finally like, okay, Spencer can be Spencer, you know, mm. it's like you be you. Hey, as long as you do the, as long as you do the work, you know, as long as you get it done, as long as we sell stuff, you know, it, it's, it's going to be cool. And so it gave me hope. You yeah. know, and it gave me satisfaction and of like, wow, you can, there are other opportunities out there other than, I think something is dying, maybe. I mean, not, not me right now, <laughs> but I keep hearing yeah. something going. Doo -doo 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 -doo. So where um, were we? Um, all right. So we were at Levi's Levi. Cape, Cape and, Stories. Cape Story. And um, then... I also did want to tell you one quick story before I moved to Levi's. I mean, New York was pretty crazy. You know, I mean, it was, 
I never particularly saw it as dangerous, but I guess there were certainly mm. dangerous areas and stuff like that. And you know, we were all hanging out on the on in the East Village at that point. That you know, you really, at least our group, we didn't really go past Avenue B. You know, but like, uh, have you ever heard of this bar, Max Fish? Yes. That. That had started up, and so we were totally, I mean, Max Fish was amazing because it was a community of all different sorts of people. And, you know, it didn't really seem like, it didn't really, it was kind of one of the first places where it wasn't like, it's all straight or it's all gay. It was the mix of, like, whatever floats your boat. So fun, but I also started getting into... A, started going to nightclubs of course too and one time I came to nightclub Danceteria that had kind of moved around a little bit but um, it was like on Madison at like no I think it was like Park and 24th or something like that um, and I got out of the club at I don't know 5 in the morning or something like that and I was walking down this I was walking down the street and as and I was as I was walking down the street, I, I came, I saw that there was a phone booth, you know, and there were two people in the phone booth. And, you know, I was like, okay, somebody's having some phone booth fun, you know? <laughs> and so as I was walking past them, the guy goes, hey, give me a quarter. And, you know, I was like, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I kept sort of walking by and he pulled out a gun and uh -huh. he goes, I said, give me a quarter. So I like, oh, wait a minute. I think I might have something in my pocket. <laughs> and that, like, I literally pulled out all these coins. He fished through the coins, took a quarter, and then I just kept moving on. And then I was like, taxi. <laughs> I mean, so it was, it was a crazy experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so there, New York was very, there was so much that was unexpected about it, you know, within, I guess, expectations of what you thought it was. Mm. But um, anyway, so I had, um, unfortunately, well, when I was living in San Francisco, my father passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, just was very, um, you know, even though it's only it was only three hours distance, you know, it was it was it was very it was really tough, mm. you know, and uh, it was hard to be away from my family. It was, it had been difficult knowing that he was, he had lung cancer. So going through mm. cancer and uh, struggling with that for a little bit of time, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really there for him or at least I felt, you know, whereas the rest of my family was really a united front with him mm. right there. And uh, so, um, that happened and then so and I and I and I missed the East Coast you know yeah. I love the change of the weather and just so much about it and and I really missed um and I missed New York City mm -hmm. you know and uh, my we had to go cross country we had rented we had my father had given us his aunt's 1969 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. <laughs> that was. That, that was sounds free. like a hamburger to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It seemed like a roasting hamburger the entire time we were in it going cross country. But um, we called it the Mary E because that was my great aunt's, her name was Mary Elizabeth. And so as I was going through the Holland Tunnel to go down to my parents' house, and that's where my friend Mary and this other woman, Caroline, met, met me down in Virginia. I was driving the Mary E through the Holland Tunnel and I started crying and mm. I was like, I know I'm going to be back here. Mm. So circling back, I ended up somehow getting an interview at Tommy Hilfiger. And um, while I was working at Levi's and I was coming back, you know, as you probably know the stages of where you go through where, oh my God, I'm going, everybody's getting married now. So I'm going to all these weddings. And so there was, there were all these weddings that summer. And so I was able to go back and I was able to sort of stay a couple extra days. And I went up to New York to, um, to interview with Tommy Hilfiger. And I mean, it happened like that. It was, uh, I, I've never had an interview process like but um i met with tommy's sister jenny and uh we totally hit it off and then next thing i know she was like you need to meet this um person in production so i met her and um you know it's just also mayhem you know this is the this was we're talking like 93 okay so tommy hilfiger was beginning to bang yeah. it out of the ballpark yeah. you know it was just nuts you know, with like Tommy jeans and stuff yeah. like that. So they need a designer for Tommy jeans. And um, so I interviewed with them. And then the next day they were like, can you come meet Tommy? And so I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Okay. <laughs> so I met a super nice guy. And I told him about that story in the Mary E going through the Holland Tunnel. And I don't know, it just, it's it somehow clicked with them. Um. And he um he they gave me the job wow. so i flew back um it was when there was <laughs> there was no occupancy of apartments in the city at all literally and i hate to say it because it sounds some ageist but i'm old enough now that i can <laughs> you say it but i was i was asking old people on the street if they knew of an apartment because i thought <laughs> maybe they'd had a friend somebody who just passed away <laughs> and could get, you know, could get me but um, also the guy in the Doc Martens, I think, had moved back to New York. And so we all went out one night and I was like, I am not going to ask anybody about a fucking apartment in New York City. I'm just sick of it. And Joe said, hey, does anybody have an apartment that Spencer could rent? And this woman said, well... I'm living at this place, right? It's just below Washington Square Park. She was like, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to move. You know, I don't know. I may move with my mom back up to the Upper West Side or whatever. I, I don't even know, remember her name, but bless her. And um, so I was like, well, do you think I could just come look at the apartment? Just <laughs> to see, you know, I don't know. And <laughs> totally move, taking that move again. And so. Um, she goes, all right, this apartment, I mean, she was paying, I think, $900 a month, and she was, it was, it's rent, it was rent stabilized, and it was bigger than anything that I had seen. I mean, you know, 
rents around that time for like a one bedroom were like 1300 mm. 1500 which for me was an enormous amount of money yeah. you know it's like i can't pay that amount of money and i wanted to live by myself mm. and somehow the woman she said she called me a couple days later and she said you know what i'll move out the landlords didn't even raise the rent wow <laughs> And so I've been in that apartment now for 22 years. Oh, wow. Same one. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I mean, I'm really not good with kind of moving at all. I don't know. Are oh, you? Oh, it's painful. Yeah, it's real painful. Just like, I don't know, if, you have, if you're comfortable in a place, like I'm the kind of person I don't need much to be happy. So, you know, if I like a, a spot and the community, I think the community where you are is like super important if i can be part of a community then then i'll yeah i'm happy there you know yeah right and growing up in small towns mm. kind of you're open to communities yeah. you know you're open to the people who work at the grocery store you're open to the people who work at the gas stations yeah. you know you're just yeah, you know, you're the people at the Pizza Hut who let you go to their like rock pile and watch the. Porn. Yeah, by the way, Pizza <laughs> you know? Hut was my first ever job when I was fourteen. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was greasing, greasing all the pans, and they'd be stacked up high, and like every so often, a pan would have like a family of cockroaches <laughs> in it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Oh, good memories. I still have a burn from the from the oven from my first job somewhere. It's like a wow. tattoo. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> um, I do have a, a, a kind of a gross roach story if you want to hear it. <laughs> sure. Okay, so here I am in this apartment that I'm telling you about. And uh, um, I think... I may have been working at Tommy Hilfiger at that point, or either I had my own line at that point. And I was sleeping in bed, and my bed is like, you know, it, it, it's a one-bedroom, but literally they put up a wall, and, you know, a, a queen-size bed can fit in this cubbyhole, kind of. <laughs> so I'm sleeping, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I feel something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm like, then... And I go back to bed because I always sleep with an air conditioner on because I love the sound and I, I need air. So I was, I was like, oh, it's just air conditioner. And so then a little bit later, I felt it again on my face. And I was like, ah. And so I went back to sleep. And then the third time I woke up and there was something in my mouth. <laughs> I pulled and I was like, ah, roach. It's a roach. I smacked it up. Oh, that I think that's like, like literally my worst nightmare ever. <laughs> well, you know what? If it happens, just know it's not going to hurt you and just <laughs> protein. I have eaten grasshoppers before, fried grasshoppers. I mean, in Thailand, we eat not, I mean, not some people, especially from upcountry, like, you know, fried bugs is a delicacy. And yeah. honestly, too, right? fried cricket tastes like prawns. I kid you not. If you closed <laughs> your eyes and you ate a fried cricket, 
you would think that you were eating a fried prawn. I feel like they're probably very genetically close or something, but uh-huh. like it gave me a whole new perspective on seafood. <laughs> maybe, but, and maybe we could start a crickets and prawn restaurant chain yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean... Uh, I had them. I had them in Mexico, I think, and <laughs> to me, I didn't get the prawn element. To them. I got <laughs> a little bit more. It was a very mealy kind of uh, fried thing. But maybe I didn't have the prawn version. Yeah, you know? maybe you didn't have the good, the deluxe version. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, tell me about how your time at Tommy. What, what was that like, being at, like, the, the peak of being at Tommy in the 90s, you know, when it was, you um, know, real on the rise? It was it was fascinating. I mean, it was a lot of hard work, mm. too. I mean, we worked many, many weekends. And, I mean, hey, uh, you know, it sounds like I just also feel with everything going on right now, ooh, you had to work a weekend, you know, but... Um, you know, it was it it was a lot of work, and it was so fast paced. And mm. I had been hired as a design director, and I didn't know what the <laughs> hell I was doing. So I was just learning it every day. You know, I was like, okay, okay, and thank goodness for Tommy and his sister and the other people around because they were very patient. Mm. You know, and um, within this fast paced world, and but we got it done too. But you know, what I liked is that at 10 o'clock at night, you could take a car service home and you didn't have to pay for the subway or anything yeah. like that, you know. So that was the bomb. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the company was explo- it, it was exploding, mm-hmm. you know. So it was just moving as fast as it could yeah. to for the, for the demand of what was going on and also to put the demand out there, you know, to be the company that it was, mm. you know, I mean, it was really trying to be on the pulse yeah. of so many things. And um, it really create, you know, it, you, you can find 90s Tommy Hill figure around at vintage stores, you know, and I'm like, we always had to design a red, white and blue group you know and it's like oh there's that denim skirt we did with the blue you know blue on the top blue on the bottom and the flag in the middle you know so it was uh there was a very extreme graphic presence involved as well you know doing the doing the jeans with the underwear band on Mm. it you know that said top jeans you know it was all there you know it was very was very pro, you know, it was very pro Tommy Hilfiger centric, mm. you know. However, then there was another, there was a more collection part um, of the brand that I didn't work on because I was really just working on working on Tommy jeans. Mm. Um, and for for women's or for, it mm. was called juniors at that. And uh, there was another group that designed the menswear. Mm. Um, but um, but I we, think like Tommy well, Jeans in the 90s had like the biggest cultural impact. Like really, it really kind of like 
became this icon of like black music culture in the 90s like my my husband he he's a music producer and he he's he specializes in you know r&b and hip-hop in the 90s and he is the biggest fan he's a collector of tommy 90s tommy gear um but like yeah he he's you know he'd be so delighted to hear about this but um yeah like it really became this real like distinct iconic kind of almost like a yeah like a movement right like did you feel that while you were in it or did is it something that just kind of happened and like were you conscious of that in the design Um, I was was conscious of what was going on within the celebrity world Mm. of it a little bit because you know Aaliyah was in Mm. some of the ad um there was, um, I forget, some of the other young celebrities, mm. you know, and uh, who were a part of it. But we were working, for me, I was working so hard and just trying to get my mm. hands wrapped around what I was doing. I didn't really know. Um, I remember NSYNC played at a Christmas party. And Whoa. I think I was bu- I was booing them because I really wasn't into the boy band element at that point. It kind of shows I really didn't know what the fuck I was doing, right? But um, no, that's cool, though. But it was such an experience, you mm. know. But they believe in music, you know, mm. and I think the family was very orientated towards different. T- types of music and I think and that was something that like you were saying really struck a chord mm, yeah. was the combination of that you know Tommy loved rock and roll you know and so the combination of that with with denim that has been identified within its rock and roll mm. roots you know he tapped into that and yeah. his family and so they really built, you know, an empire yeah. around it. It's like um, so- when the ingredients have such different meaning and then when they come together, they make something completely new. And that yeah. is just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, it's such a good way to kind of phrase it, you know, it's because mm. um, it was like that. And uh then, um, so I was there for about three years, and I just kind of burn out, mm. you know. Um, and so I decided to leave, and that's when I was like, I'm going to take a trip kind of around the world, but not really around the world. And um, I went to... You know, I went to San Francisco. I went back out to San Francisco. I was there for a month or something like that. Then I went to, I went to Hong Kong, and then I went to, um, then I went to Australia for a month. I went to New Zealand for a month. I went to Fiji for a little bit, and uh, then came back. And that's when I decided I would start my own company. Wow, which was called Hee Haw Melancholy. And the interesting thing that you're saying about all the weird um, animals in Australia, I had never heard 
what is it called a kookaburra? <laughs> yeah, kookaburra. Okay, and don't they kind of go <laughs> yeah. something like that? <laughs> they laugh at so, you. <laughs> I was sleeping somewhere in Australia. I had met some people because I just kind of took a car and I drove. I drove up and. You drive up and down the Gold Coast, yeah, or the, up the East you know, Coast, which is the tr- the trail that I was talking about, the Band Trail. Oh, okay. Yeah. What year were you doing that? That was early two thousands. Okay, so we just missed each other, um, but uh, it. I will. I met this couple who were a wonderful couple, and so we we traveled a little bit together, and I remember we rented this little this little house for a couple days or something like that and I was sleeping so soundly and I think this kookaburra (laughs) woke me up and was such crazy noise and I was like what the fuck is going on and then I started thinking that my father was in the room trying to contact me and freaked me the fuck out i mean i couldn't really even talk to this couple the next day because it had weirded me out so much if i'd only known it was the damn bird you know (laughs) so we were all a little uncomfortable with each other that day but um but anyway so but it was it was such a fantastic trip through australia Mm. and new zealand was so beautiful so beautiful and and Mm. fiji with Mm. the People there were just so giving, and and as you were also back in Australia with the um, um, just the the in the uh, Aboriginal art, you mm. know, was so beautiful, mm. um, and so it was a really great trip of self exploration, and yeah. um, that's when I was like, well, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start my own company, you know, and so when I came back. I had this very dear friend of mine, Michael, and he's he was the one who'd given me the cape and the crown because <laughs> he worked there as well. And uh, he lived in Tokyo for a while working at Levi's there. And um, I hope I don't get him in trouble, but we were riding we were riding a bus and we had gotten really stoned. <laughs> And we came up for this. We came up with this name, Hee Haw Melancholy. And we thought it was so funny and amazing and weird and stuff like that. And so I decided that's what I was going to name the company. And it was right when Juicy was doing a lot of T-shirts, and there was a, a company called Michael Stars that was doing. So it was mostly knit tops, mm. and where the business was booming you know and they were a little sexier than just regular t-shirts mm. you know and thing different fabrications different knitted fabrications so i was like i'm gonna take that idea and then i'm going to do a line of t-shirts and shirts that were a little bit more fashion than they were kind of and um so i created it i was in this i was i went you know there was you you know about showrooms right mm-hmm. so you go to the, and so i i was able i got into the showroom the stephen allen showroom uh-huh. which they were really nice to me and um you know i developed this kind of funky little line of tops and um and 
I also sold it, some of it myself. Like I went out to, I took a trip to LA and um, I made an appointment at Fred Siegel. And so they came to my hotel room and I pasted up all these pictures on the wall and stuff like that. And so they, so all these specialty boutiques ended up buying the line, oh. you know? And, um, and I hate to, they, loved the they thought the name was really interesting and when I I told them I I kind of fibbed a little bit I said well Hee Haw was a television show back in the back in the 70s and I was like and it was my favorite it was my father's favorite television show and he's no longer alive so that's the melancholy part about it and I hate to say it people would just kind of melt of <laughs> uh, the story behind it all so um so i had that going and then um and the 9-11 hit mm. and um that really you know was just a, a terrible 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 mm. time um and it put a lot of small businesses mm. in jeopardy and you know and not only a small designer like myself, but also boutiques um, who were small, who were supporting it. And, um, you know, I did, um, I did production uh, off the Bowery. So, um, you know, that was difficult mm. too. So um, it really made things very challenging. Mm. And uh, so I kind of was really struggling with it. And mm. a friend I had met at, Tommy Hilfiger, she was doing um, merchandising at Calvin Klein or Calvin Klein jeans at the time. And they were looking for someone to help them with their women's mm. jeans line. And so I went over there and um, worked at Calvin Klein for about about two years. Mm -hmm. You know, I had Ehaw Melancholy for about from like 2001 to, well, 2000 to 2002. Then I worked at Calvin from 2002 to 2004. And when I started with at Calvin, Calvin was actually still under design, was owned by the Calvin Klein company, mm. even though the jeans part was manufactured by a company called Warnico. Mm. And uh, so with, you know, I mean, Calvin Klein, for, you know, he's just an icon, you yeah. know. Um, he wasn't really there that much at that point anymore, but um, but he was still there a little bit. Unfortunately, I never got to meet him. But um, at Calvin, you, at least when I was there, the, the offices were all black. You had black furniture. You could really, you had, I think they were black post-it notes and you couldn't really <laughs> write anything on them with, <laughs> so you had to use one of those silver markers yeah. <laughs> that spread all over the place. And I, I mean, cause I swear it was like a weird, absolutely fabulous um, episode where I brought in some colored post-it notes one day and people were like, Oh what? my gosh. But what it was so fascinating was he created a point of view, yeah. you know, and you lived that point of view within, within the office. Mm. And so 
what a better way to kind of begin to understand yeah. a vision of a brand yeah. that what is that is at the same time as kind of weird and hilarious as it was the knowledge of denim and the execution of denim and how to wash denim mm. and how to wear denim and all the different do out of them really you know it, it it developed from what I was you know Tommy Hilfiger was very streetwear, you mm. know, where at Calvin, there still was that street mentality because, you know, it was, I got there after the Marky Mark um, K, um, campaign, but it was still kind of about that mm. a little bit, you, you know, and, and, and the jeans made a lot of money for the business. Mm. Um, so, um, but then the design portion got bought bought out by Warnico. Mm -hmm. So we were no longer within the Calvin Klein umbrella itself. And so you sort of felt like you lost a little bit mm. of the vision or you lost a little bit of the family vibe yeah. that you know of what you were a part of. And then, then um uh men and bought bought out I guess, I don't know if it was all of Calvin Klein at that, that point, or they bought out the jeans part. So once it kind of kept moving hands around, I was just, and it was also a challenge for mm -hmm. me too. There were lots of challenges and um, I felt like it was time to, I, I actually took another break. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that I really appreciate that I gave myself those breaks, not only from after Tommy Hilfiger, but Calvin Klein, because when you work in a, such a fast-paced, crazy world, and I know you know what I'm talking about, mm. um, it's so nice to take a break yeah. and give yourself some creative freedom and some give yourself a breath, you know? Well, you need that for creativity itself. Like, yeah, if you just keep running, you know, running, like burning the candle at both ends, you lose your creative energy. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's so nice to get it back. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. You and I may be similar in that we can find uh, a rusted penny on the street, and that is actually really cool. So we're going to take that home, and that creates the idea yeah. of a new snap that you know a snap finish, yeah. or you know, and it's so nice. So that's been something that was innate, mm. I guess, you know, I, I don't know about where we had a big attic and we, when growing up and in our attic, we used to play store up there because there was so much shit up there, you know, of great grandparents, grandparents, all sorts of stuff that it was, you know, it was a museum up there. So it was so fun to go yeah, up there. Yeah, so lucky. And, that would have been real fun. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it stunk, <laughs> but you know, of like old clothes. But um, it, but it was fascinating, and I think that's where my also my sort of um, delight for vintage mm. came about. I mean, my friend Michael, who I was telling you about from Hee Haw, the Hee Haw Melancholy um, partner, he um, he was a 
big thrift addict. I mean, he grew up in in um, South Pasadena in California, and I think his mother was, she really liked to thrift, and I think she may have even had a store. So I would watch Michael go through stuff and be like, how the hell can he do this? But little by little, you know, you kind yeah. of pick it up, and it becomes, you know, it becomes it just a lifestyle. Becomes, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's almost a sickness. Yes, totally. <laughs> you can't stop. Because then you, you know. run out of space at home or in your office for all the stuff. And then you don't want to let anything go. <laughs> and yeah, really like space when you, like my husband and I spend every single, that's our thing that we do every weekend is we go thrifting. <laughs> so very quickly yes. all the stuff builds up and you're like, oh, where do we put all this stuff? But um, that's right. where you find so much out about the world and like about history and like you you get curious like, oh, like what happened then? Like, oh, like why did they make things like this back then? Or like, yeah, it just makes you curious. Or what I, what through my husband and what I've also kind of discovered and come to love in thrifting is looking at different records. Rec yes. Looking at record covers is like traveling through time and space. It's so fun. Like, and the fact that like, you know, a, a visual image has to represent a sound of what's inside the record is like such a interesting thing. How do you describe a sound visually? Like where how did you get there? And but but every single record cover is crazy and beautiful and it looks exactly how it sounds often. Like Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um that is such a great perspective. I hadn't even really so thought of fun. it. Yeah. I it love, really... you know what I love is I love Hare Krishna records from the 70s, the late 70s. So obviously like the Hare Krishna, um, you know, had a lot of money in the States in the, the late 70s. So they commissioned amazing musicians to like spread the word of love and peace and and you know togetherness and like there's one called um job orchestra you can find it on youtube and there's one track called govinda i'm going to send it to you because it's a beautiful okay. track but it's mixing like east and west with soul music and like oh, how you know you it's just like an amazing thing to explore history just through through music itself. So it's fun. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, one thing that I've been noticing at, during this time mm. of is that I'm listening to so much more music and finding little like, you know, I was listening to some Minnie Ripperton the other day and her voice is so amazing yeah. and I was like, Oh, so maybe that's where Mariah Carey mm. got her high-pitched, mm. you know, where she got inspired by it. And I was listening to some old Blondie, you know, Heart of Glass, and just that, the yeah. beginning song. And it's made me want to create a little, uh, a compilation of just 
parts of music that I find so interesting. Yeah. Like I was to a Devo song the other day too, and I was like, oh, wow, I love that part, you know? And yeah. it's so encouraging. Yeah, I've been listening to music. I mean, I'm so lucky that at home, like there's always amazing music being played. But since I've been in Thailand um, in lockdown with my parents, um yeah I've been finding like the news gets real like makes you real anxious and it, it gets real overwhelming so so I've been going back to just listening to to music and and music that like there's some some types of music that like I'm really gravitating towards like um in the beginning of the lockdown I was really gravitating towards like um late 60s psych rock um and like real like free like LSD trippy psych rock and that That's felt nice. like that kind of brought this fire up in me actually that like made me want to be more active in in like pushing for the most Im things that I think are important in life because um, I had that space to pause and now like you know there's so much sadness and and hurt and but but hope and trust and, and like there's such a melting pot of different emotions i'm listening to more of this like spiritual jazz and like um hari krishna soul music um oh. which is really really happy and beautiful and it's just real happy there's a real high vibe to it and it just makes you feel real connected to like you know so many different facets of the the universe but um yeah music i think like people i think music is nice because it just stops you from thinking about stuff right like it's just it's food for your soul um it, yeah. it is and when you can just get in when it takes you it takes you somewhere mm. you know really it lifts you mm. away from you know your floor and you know when you feel your body just start like you were doing just then when you when yeah. it just start moving you you know and it just puts you in a different space and it's such a it's such a gift yeah. I mean you know, it's I mean just hearing that you were that you are a musician you know it's just like it's just you know the pat I have such a passion for so many things, but I'd love to be a musician. You should you know? make a mixtape. You should do it. <laughs> do a little I wrote, cassette. I, I write a song. Yes, do uh, it. All right, I'll see. I need your help with it then. But I do have a bunch of old albums. <laughs> all right. We are running out of time right now. I feel like we need a whole nother episode just to touch on vintage and then yeah. the um, later, you know, part of, I think let's touch on, on your I time. Put, did put a, um, can you, can oh, you see that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's show me, show me these pieces. We've got another right. half an hour. So oh, we, we do. Yeah. Okay. We, I just, I want it to be kind of I'm trying I don't know the best place. It's gotten really well, dark actually, so I like the sound of the the insects outside. I, it's amazing, yeah. right? They're they call them peepers hmm. and they're the frogs. 
Oh, they're frogs. Yeah, and they go into this wild chorus at this time. And then I swear, all of a sudden, they'll just go quiet. Oh. (laughs) It'll be, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) Show's over, guys. Wait, that doesn't work. This is good. Then you can bring each piece. So, this piece here, tell me if you can see it or not. Oh, wow. So, this is an Egyptian... Um, it's an Egyptian uh, caftan for folks, for folks who are just purely listening right now I'm looking at this um, black coloured caftan with this gold leaf kind of Egyptian motif it's not a print is it it looks like it a, is a it's a print gold leaf print with um, Egyptian motifs on that. Tell me about that. Um, I just found it at a vintage store, and you know what? Um, I believe in um, your body having some freedom in what you wear, Mm -hmm. and caft are amazing because it, you know, some people are like, you're wearing a dress, which, okay, whatever, you guys, shut up. You know, (laughs) Um, but it's just such a free thing to wear, mm. you know? You don't have to worry about underpants or a yeah. T-shirt or hair pants. So it's just, and you move so freely. So oh. this, for me right now, is really one of my biggest pieces of freedom. Amazing. Well, for me, like, I love wearing dresses because there's nothing, like, at your waist. There's nothing, like, cinching into your waist. Like, you are so free. I love doing, like, hula hoop circles when I'm wearing dresses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I swear I'm going to wear more of them. Um, and I love just, you know, it's just di- it's, it's different. And, you know, that, that's the one thing that I feel about, which I'm sure we connect on. Fashion, you know, trends are just, they, they just mm. move so fast. Mm. The m- most beautiful thing about vintage is you can you make your own trend Mm. with it oh like this i'm wearing this old um this is a fishing Fishing vest you know it even has a tag it has the license in the back it says um new york it's actually a hunting license tag from 1973 74 and it's just a beautiful Mm. man bucket red color and mm. you know you wear with you know you wear that with your caftan you know it's just such a a quirky unique perspective yeah. you know if Absolutely. you if you let vintage you know welcome vintage and and let yourself do whatever you want to do with it because it has got every trend in there yeah you can you know, when the high-waisted, when non-stretch high-waisted women's jeans started coming back into play, it's so easy to grab them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then, you know, um, this. Okay, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this very well, but vintage denim is really hard to find and hard to find cheap, mm-hmm. especially a good. Mm-hmm. This I found in one of my favorite sh- shops. It's I think it is a. It is a patch pocket. Uh, I don't think you can see it. Can you hold on? Does this help? Uh, no. No. 
what we'll do is you can take sh- take um, photos of them and I'll, I'll post them along with the, the podcast so people can oh, have a real good look. Cool. Well, this but is if you can describe them for our listeners, that would be amazing. It's a, it's a, it, it was a dead stock denim. I mean, the tag in it, because <laughs> they were $10, the tag said, these are fun. And <laughs> but this is like, you don't know what you yeah. have here because this is a great pair of jeans. It actually fits me. It's high-waisted. All the shape is from the inseam because there's no outseam. Mm. And oh. it's just, you know, it's like old pair. It's an old pair of nautical denim. Mm-hmm. But I think they used to do this as prison wear as well. Oh. So because it doesn't look like, you know, a, it, it doesn't look like it has a military um stamp or anything the, the stamp that looks that there is a stamp that's kind of illegible in it it looks like it says louisiana state or i can't really figure it out mm. but it looks like it may it was definitely some sort of industrial piece of denim you mm. know and i wore a party the um a social distancing party the other night and they're just like the leg is just so beautiful mm. and that's the other about vintage as you know it's all you know the shapes that you find out there are just fantastic yeah and also the shapes of things that have been worn to death as well how they that wearing of them changes like you know it might twist at the seam or it might you know it might be stretched out at the waist and that creates a new shape that like is really incredible and unique a hundred percent um, speaking of that, this, now this, I didn't get at a vintage store, but this was my, this was my, my grand, um, she went to China in the twenties and, um, she, this is a beautiful silk wow. little jacket. And there's another one wow. under it that's orange. And I, I actually, you know, it's so fragile. Mm. It's so beautiful. It probably should be in somewhere where it's really taken care of. However, I ended up wearing it to a Madonna concert. (laughs) (laughs) So embroidery is gorgeous on it. And, you know, you mix that with the jeans, you know, it's Mm. just like such a wonderful blend. Yeah. And then the t-shirt, you know, it's just so much fun. Mm. Um, um, Then, my father, my grandfather's pair of army pants. Um, I don't know if they're World War, World War One. Made back then, and how they've lasted mm. is phenomenal. This is one of those pieces up in our closet, up up in our attic at home. But um, the the it's, weight it's, it's so very drapey. Light. It's wonderful. Mm. And when you wear it, it just flows. Mm. You're you're walking in a cloud in a way, the way it flows. And the details on it it are so, it it really is. And Mm. the details are so, you learn to study how thick a belt loop is, Mm. what a, you know, what, how a pocket was designed, what it, how, what it was meant for. For mm. the stitches are 
hint on on that fabric too. You know, mm. it's just it's all so thought so thoughtful, yet it yeah. also seems so easy. Yeah. And, yeah. Run DMC shirt. I mean, you know, kind of explains itself. So <laughs> this mixed with all the other stuff is just great, and um, I just think they're badass. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, so happy to find this at a vintage store. I was like, <laughs> I mean, usually I look for things that are that are older for mm. the most part, you know. And um, but sometimes I mean, things so just this, catch your eye. Yes, mm. and it's about how you mix it all together. Yeah. You know, this one. I mean, it's probably I would guess maybe from two thousand, early two thousands, or something like mm. that, but. You know, you also see the difference in where things are made. Mm, you know, yes, so sure. you will a lot of the stuff I find is made in the USA, but then you start seeing things made in Mexico, mm. made in Honduras, made in China. So you begin to see how things change yeah. as as the as the fashion industry started becoming more and more yeah. mass. And I just want to name that actually thrifting nowadays is so much harder than it was before because there's so much like fast fashion that saturated the thrift stores and like your salvation army and your your like flea markets um that you know there's a lot of stuff to sift through and things just aren't made the same as as they used to be a hundred percent and you know uh it's it it is a craft Mm. don't you think to, because you can get very annoyed at a thrift store, you yeah. know, because all the crap that you have to go through. Mm. But it's about finding the gems, yeah. you know, and there's there's little nuggets of gold that you're like, oh, this is phenomenal. I can't wait. Yeah, and things but, speak to you for different reasons. Like if you're not all hunting for that, you know, um, you know, British Army um, Bombay Bloomer or something. If you if you're hunting for things that are instinctually speaking to you rather than what you think might have high value or you know that that other people might be hunting for, that's that makes it an even more unique experience and gives a special angle. Definitely, mm. and it's great to shop for others and to mm. shop for business and stuff like that when you're shopping for your own there's just a there's a selfish um there there's just a selfishness that is undeniable mm. you know it's just keep giving yourself gifts and <laughs> gifts that are expensive at all and you're like yes, yes. i love it yeah you know this next piece is a um it's a miyaki isi miyaki men's blazer mm. It, it it was made in France. There's a big Beautiful. B on it, as mm. I also found a, a B pin for the last name Barksdale. But it is a jacarded, it's a navy black jacarded uh, plaid. Mm. And it's kind of almost like a boucle mm. a little bit. So, you know, it has nubs in it and mm. things like that. The shul- it definitely has a shoulder pad. So it's... That's one thing that's nice, still nice about um, 
making fabrics in France is that the machinery is still old so that you can use like slubby yarns and beautiful, you know, beautiful yarns and play with textures. Um, that is kind of hard to do in many countries now. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, it really shows the it shows the intrigue of the designer, you mm. know, uh, and, of, you know, certainly now, you know, you can go someplace and you just flip through a bunch of uh, a lot of fabrics, you mm. know, but be able to think, oh, maybe this plaid came from something totally different. And then he the way he put the two together of like, I'm going to put that plaid, I'm going to recolor it in a black and navy, and then I'm going to put it in this boucled fabric. There's That's genius mm. to me. Yeah. You know, it's so unexpected of mm. what, and that's, I guess that's, can be the beauty of fashion too, mm. you know. I mean, it, it will, they really do become pieces of art, yes. you know, and you know, it's it's actually nice to wear to wear mm. the fashion in a little bit of a less fragile way, yeah. which is also great about thrifting because yeah. you can kind of just play around with mm. it, you know, and you know you can wear it to a little party outside or something, or and and who cares, yeah. you know, but um, but you you also know that you might be getting a little investment piece every yes. month, yeah as well right um this adidas you know little track so made this is a this. red and white and navy track top it looks kind of um 80s yes it's actually and it's actually silver oh silver instead of, instead of white and i think it is this one might it's got a very old label in it. I'm trying to see if it's made in the USA. Oh, that's made in Germany. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but it's a really sweet piece. Mm. And is it like a polyester knit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Um, I'm sorry that my light is so poor. That's but, okay. Um, anyways, that's fun. This is a. I don't have that many more pieces this is an old old brooks brother chalk stripe blazer mm. that um it's brooks brothers new york in it um it's got a beautiful fit it's uh single breasted um it does have some interest it has interesting dark shapes mm. in the back um the label and and i will take pictures of it because the label is looks quite old in it which is really beautiful and then if you wear you know as you get into the fall season you wear it with your adidas track jacket mm. under it you, know, you can just fuck the whole yeah. thing up and that's what's fun about it um this is very interesting here it is a it's a it says made in the republic of ireland mm. by donald davies of dublin it's um, it's a hundred percent wool. It's a very light wool. The color is like a charcoal. It's a plaid, mm. a, a large, and it's a, it's a dress. Um, I mean, it doesn't fit me, but I just it was it was inexpensive and it's so beautiful. I just mm. had to buy it. 
Um, Even just for the fabric. Yeah, the mm. fabric is unbelievable. And the colors, you know, these these hand these hand woven wools. I mean, the wool that takes the color mm. is really such magic. So yeah. they're almost, it's not really a plum color, but there's like a magenta. There's mm. a an, almost an Eve Klein blue in it. Yeah. And this charcoal it just is such, and and it's almost like a basket weave mm. in a way. So um, it's really fascinating. It it you know just has a it it's a it's like a tunic mm-hmm. dress, right? Because it you know it has the placket that just comes below the chest. Um, but and it has a little bit you know some uh, some slight puffing at the sleeve mm. too, which is. I'm guessing, I don't know, this could be 70s, but it could be earlier mm. than that. It looks like um, it, the cut makes it look like a Margaret Howell piece. Like It, would, it does. It would be great yes. for a Margaret Howell collection. Mm. And it, also there was, a, there was a shirt with it that does have like a bow and has a little bit more of a puff sleeve that's in a, a very dark plum color, mm. which is really really pretty i have that upstairs um i also get inspired by dinner jackets so this is a you know in robes um this it says state of maine and then it's made in moorhead city which moorhead city is in uh i think it's north carolina or south carolina but so state of maine maybe made in north carolina it's Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting mix but um so it's luxurious a, it's a beautiful purple satin mm. um dark plum satin but then there's a very crazy kind of are they polka dots they're well it's kind of like um it's kind of like a scratched like cross hatching mm. And then there is an interesting polka dot, like mm. a two-color polka dot in it. Almost like little eyes. It, yes, it does. And then it has this dramatic purple sash in it, which is really pretty. Mm. So drapey, too. Uh, this shirt, when I actually had heart surgery a while ago, and um, I this is a band called Firehouse, and, I mean, it is totally glam rock hair i mean it's so freaky and trippy i just had to get it so funny i mean their hair the hair on these guys is unbelievable but it's amazing um, and the back of it says hold your fire (laughs) um and that's that looks like something you'd find in jadu jack um market which is for those folks who don't know, it's like the biggest market in the Southern Hemisphere and it's where you and I met in real life in person. Um, well, I took you there and um, that is like a, that is like straight out of Jaddy Jack. <laughs> it, it's just, it's insane. When I was, so I had to go in for surgery prep and they're like, what are you, what are you And I was like, uh, That's your power. Um, this, this is an old Yves Saint Laurent hat, oh. ladies' hat that I got. It's beautiful. Mm. It is. It has really been 
strangely moth-eaten within in my house, which gives it a really ugly look, but it's a beautiful shape. Mm. It's an exquisite shape. And uh, I love how it's so it's so wide in the front and short in the back. It's this red yeah. fedora for those who don't know. What kind of material is it made out of? It's like a felt. Well, well uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's felt. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, made in made in France, mm. and it has a beautiful like red grow grain on the inside mm-hmm. as well, which is lovely. Um, can't. Can't do without your Nirvana cap. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so great. got a good old Nirvana cap there. Wonderful. And, uh, and, you know, your tourist Venezia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, what are they called? Your, your gondola. Your romantic yeah, gondola your, ride. Gondola hat works wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, you've got to push a gondola. <laughs> Um, and then I also found these old um, military blankets out of mm. this beautiful, um, this beautiful dark green wool. Um, and then the it's uh, I think it's it must it's United States Marine Corps. So um, where there was a patch, now it's just only the outline of the. Um, of the initials mm. and it's sort of it's worn away so it looks so it's just so pretty and beautiful mm. that's my well thank you for sharing yeah yeah i love how how varied and how everything has a story and a special meaning to it, to it. yes a little window into your mind exactly well, look, we're just out of time now. Thank you so much, Spencer, for spending this beautiful evening with me. Um, it's been so... I feel like we haven't even... We need to do another episode because we haven't even touched on like all the things we were going to talk about, especially to do with thoughts on the fashion, fashion industry right now, which is something I re- was really curious about um, to hear your opinion. I don't know if, yeah. if five minutes... Uh, I mean, like, if we have five minutes um, to touch on this, it's... Well, I did, um, mm. you know, it does seem, you know, just there's... I'll take off my gondola hat um, when we're talking about something serious. But um, it's, I think, the the, you know, because the fashion industry is talking a lot about sustainability mm-hmm. and... Uh, the importance of that and the wastefulness uh, that's been going on, and and how much the the this, the industry has contributed to to you know creating a poor environment. Mm. Um, I think that things are going to change. Hopefully, there will be more attention to details and the craft that this industry was built on and the the artisanal elements mm. that this business was built on and the beauty of it um you know we can't get away from people need to wear clothes mm. you know i mean that's why i'm personally a very big proponent of the the, the vintage business mm. because i think and really find if it's a pair of jeans that you need, you can find them there. You know, yeah. if it's a, a pair of shoes, you can get them there. You just got to get over that 
you got to get over the understanding that they're old clothes, mm. you know. But they're made I, probably much better in most cases than, than things you can pick up for the same price today. Yes, and mm. it's, a, it's a learn. Mm. It teaches so much as a designer because yeah. you learn how to make things very well mm. and built to last. Mm. And that every the details that go into it. Mm. Um, so I hope you know. I think it's. I, I hope it will change. We'll see what happens. Um, it certainly changed for me. Mm. Um, I'm currently not working in it anymore, other than still having a passion for it. Mm. And we'll see what happens in the future. But um, I think if we can maybe reduce the amount of fashion shows that we're having mm. and it kind of goes back to the celebrity discussion that we were having you know it's maybe celebrities are a little less important yeah <laughs> you know and uh it's about giving honest pieces to mm. honest you know for the good of the honest yeah. honest world. i keep coming to this word integrity which i think is important to move forward with integrity clothes of integrity brands with integrity meaning you know finding meaning from things um and 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 propping yourself up to have integrity in yourself um well thank you so much spencer um i hope i'll see you soon um um, I look forward to chatting to you soon and um, stay safe out there and enjoy that time in nature. Thank you so much. It's so great seeing you too. And yeah. thank you for closing this with the word integrity. Mm. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye. See Take ya. care.